Welcome to Real Foot Forward, a West Tennessee podcast from Discovery Park of America in Union City, Tennessee. Today's episode is brought to you by Jiffy Steamer, the largest steamer manufacturer in the world. It started in 1940 right here in Obine County, Tennessee. Find the Jiffy Steamer dealer closest to you at jiffysteamer.com. Thank you, Caroline. Welcome, everybody, to Real Foot Forward, a West Tennessee podcast where we explore the history, the people, and the culture of our home right here in West Tennessee. I'm your host, Scott Williams. Okay, Caroline, before I introduce today's guest, share with me something you discovered this week at Discovery Park of America. This week, I had the chance to walk around our new steampunk exhibit here at Discovery Park, and I really enjoyed how interactive and hands-on the exhibit was. But my favorite thing that I discovered was the Van de Graaff generator because I was able to experience the creation of static electricity. That was very cool. I think my favorite part of that temporary exhibit is H.G. Wells. As a kid, H.G. Wells and the War of the Worlds, that was really the first uh, book that resonated with me and that I really discovered the excitement and the joy that could be found from reading a good book. So I'm really excited about that exhibit as well. So thanks for picking that. Uh, Today's very special guest is Ginger Hadley. She's a descendant of Marcus Winchester, the very first mayor of Memphis, and she's discovered some really interesting things in her uh, research of her famous ancestor. Welcome, Ginger. Thank you. I appreciate you having me on. So first of all, tell us a little bit about uh, you and where you came from, how you ended up in Memphis to begin with. Well, I was originally born in Houston, but I've been here all of my life. I think we moved back when I was two, and uh, all of my family is is here as well. I'm the uh, youngest of five daughters and have uh, four children of my own and eight grandchildren. Well, do you recall um, how you discovered that you were a descendant of the first mayor of Memphis? Well, you know, it's funny. We had uh, we knew all of our lives that we were descendants of the Winchesters, but I didn't put it together until I was considerably older that he was the Winchester that was the mayor. So um, it kind of lit a fire under me to start researching. What what uh, neighborhood did you grow up in in Memphis? I was out in East Memphis by St. Louis School. We uh, grew up there all of our lives. We were within a a two-block radius of the church. So whenever you uh, saw Winchester Boulevard, you know, did did it resonate with you? Oh, that's my Winchester. It did um, in some vague fashion, though I never really uh, knew too much about uh, where that came from. Uh, and later found out there's also a second portion of Winchester Road. Tell us a little bit, you know, about discovering genealogy and about what age were you when you first started plugging in those names into Ancestry.com and, and when the, the fire was first lit? Well, I've always been a history lover. I I found it fun to take electives in high school like Russian history and that type of thing. But in 2008, I was recovering from knee surgery and thought it would be the perfect time to kind of play around on Ancestry and see what it was all about. 
really when it was first coming out to the public uh, knowledge. And uh, once you're in it and start hitting those leaves and finding information, you're an addict pretty quickly. And yeah, I've it's been funny. Doing it's it funny. Uh, it seems like in every family, there's one or two people that are addicted to Ancestry.com these days and um, cha- exchanging information and testing their DNA. And um, so I can attest to the fact that it is extremely addictive. Absolutely. And my oldest son is an archaeologist and anthropologist on top of it. So we've always had that bond where we would watch history uh, documentaries, wings of war, that type of thing. So uh, I've always had a companion uh, as they were growing up. Yeah, that's good. I know those of us that are interested are always keeping our eyes open for which child is going to take up the take up the info once we um, are gone and continue uh, sharing the information. It's very sad when a family ends up without any historians and the the photos and the Bibles and everything end up in antique stores. Oh, absolutely. That just breaks my heart. Um, in fact, this last week, I indoctrinated my oldest granddaughter, who was on her way to the beach and asking me for a book. And I got talking to her about my very favorite book is 1776. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and awesome. At first, she was a little uh, taken aback by the suggestion. I said, just read the first chapter. And it hooked her. So hopefully, she'll be the uh, guardian of all things ancestry when I'm no longer around. Oh, that's great. Well, for those who um, are, and even honestly, people from Memphis don't really even know about Marcus Winchester. So I would say the vast majority of the people listening um, have no idea who Marcus Winchester was. So give us just a little bit um, of the elevator speech on the first uh, mayor of Memphis. Well, absolutely. Uh, Marcus Uh, uh, to me, was an amazing man. He was the oldest son of 15 children of General James Winchester of uh, Revolutionary War fame and War of 1812. And in fact, he was away at school uh, when he had to leave to be his father's aide at the age of 15 um, and was captured by the English, imprisoned in Quebec, Uh, So he had a military upbringing, and when the uh, founders of Memphis, Overton, Jackson, and Winchester, met with the Chickasaw to discuss the treaty, uh, which is referred to as the Chickasaw Treaty, Marcus went with them. And as an end result, he was sent as their representative to Memphis to lay it out, uh, survey it, and plot the city. You and I have both discussed, I believe the historian, the early historian of Memphis was uh, James Davis. Right. Is that his name? And, it was. And, and he uh, wrote the history of Memphis and he mentions Marcus Winchester, but you know, we both suspect some of what he wrote was as much fantasy as it was fact, but um, I was fascinated by the fact that he wrote that when Marcus Winchester was a prisoner of war, um, up north during the revolution, or maybe even in Canada during the Revolutionary yes. War in Canada, that he was quite popular with the local ladies who would come to observe uh, the prisoners, and that he uh, was a 
uh, fan favorite there somehow. Right. It it seems that he was quite the ladies' man. He and his brother were uh, well known for that, I believe. But uh, they were uh, up there for about six weeks before they were traded to the back to. Uh, I guess you would call them now the American troops, but at that time, the Continental troops and uh, released. So, Well, and then um, I'm also fascinated by, you know, Memphis at the beginning um, on the bluff there was a very different Memphis than we know of today. Can you describe a little bit of what it was probably like when Marcus first uh, was sent there to sort of help uh, lead the development of a new community? Absolutely. Well, before Marcus came to the area, the Chickasaw Nation held the Memphis Bluffs as their main meeting area. And in fact, there's a mound that was down by the Ornamental Metal Museum, if you're familiar with that, that was subsequently used as a fort. A um, During the, the Civil War, it was where they held their cache of weapons and ammunition. Um, but I've when slid it, down it in the snow. It makes a good <laughs> place to slide down as well. Absolutely. That's one of those places that my son is always uh, wanting to show members of the family. So we're pretty familiar with it as well. But uh, when Marcus got here, it was very rough. There was one landing uh, leading down a natural landing leading down to the river, which Smart Marcus made his ferry boat station. So not only did he um, start the first store in Memphis at the top of that landing, which is currently, I guess it would be front and um, market, if I'm not mistaken, right in front of the pyramid. Uh, but behind the pyramid is where that natural landing was. So he started up a ferry business crossing back and forth between Memphis and Hopefield, Arkansas, uh, which is now lost to the river. It was a thriving town and they own thousands of acres over there. If you go over at the low water uh, mark sometime during the the end of summer and look off to your right towards St. Louis, you'll occasionally see the top of the pergola of the old train station. That was the Hopefield Little Rock train station. Wow. That's cool. Yeah. Um, and, and Marcus was, uh, he was brought up, you know, he wasn't, uh, he didn't grow up in a little cabin. So when he moved to Memphis and, uh, settled it, it was a big difference from the way he had grown up. Um, his parents had, uh, built an impressive, uh, uh, plantation, I guess you would call it. Correct. Absolutely. Their home was known as Crag Font and it's up by Gallatin, Tennessee on Bledsoe Creek which was a, a prime place for them to build. And his father, James, was of the nature that he brought in uh, artisans from Baltimore and they quarried the stone right there on site and built it of this beautiful gray limestone. Um, it was quite impressive. If you can just imagine the frontier at that time, they were still facing Indian attacks in fact, his brother was is known as the last person to be killed at, by an Indian attack in 
in the state of Tennessee. But they had uh, a fort uh, just not too far from them. Um, and everyone stayed close, but they were the first to build a, a house of stature, I guess you'd call it, in uh, Tennessee. And it's uh, a uh, national, uh, it's on the National Registration of Historic Places. It's a tourist attraction now. Um, I've not been able to visit it. Have you visited? I have, and it's really just so beautiful. I encourage anyone that is interested in history to go. Not only is the house uh, really beautiful and filled with originals uh, that have been donated back to the estate uh, for display, but their gardens uh, and cemetery are just beautiful. The, uh, the gardens are renowned for their white peonies. In fact, there's even rumor that uh, one of the grandmothers, uh, Mariah Black, is buried in the garden. So wow. that's really, that must be a special feeling for you to get to go back there when you actually descend from, from those folks. Oh, it is quite, it, it's, uh, you get goosebumps walking among your ancestors, but this is one of the reasons that I'm so heavily into this. I don't want them forgotten. I don't want their names lost to history. Well, and um, so one of my favorite, the reason that I was aware of Marcus Winchester was because of his relationship uh, with David Crockett. And David Crockett um, became friends with both Marcus and his wife. Um, and I'll, uh, we can talk a little bit about that in a minute. But first of all, let's talk, let's introduce uh, Marcus's wife to the listeners. Tell me a little bit about her because she also had a fascinating history. Absolutely. Uh, her name was Marie Amarant Loisel Barabeau. So the French runs strong in our family. Um, she went by Amarant, uh, but the Memphians called her Mary. I guess they couldn't wrap their head around it. So uh, you will see both names uh, interchangeably, but all of the legal documentation has Amarant. Now, she was a, a property owner in her own right, in an age when that just was not done by, with Americans. But being French and from St. Louis, Missouri, it was commonplace. The uh, interesting thing about her, um, and heartbreaking at the same time, was that she was a woman of color, though it has now come out, we believe that she was Osage. Her grandfather was the Osage Indian agent, and her grandmother was Osage. So we believe that's where we're leading, though I have been a, unable to verify that through DNA. The, the culture does not really allow DNA research outside of members of the tribes. So that's something that'll be a future uh, search for me. But in Memphis, she was quite um, active. She helped the, the needy and the ill. And by about 1830, uh, she had become a weapon against Marcus. So um, as you will see in story after story in the South, her color was the basis of even passing laws. And by 1837, they had a law against interracial marriage. And she was simply referred to as mulatto, uh, which 
she would have been in St. Louis as well, but the French meaning of mulatto is just a, a dark-skinned person of mixed race. It wasn't a black and white comment as we know it is today in the United States. Well, and and as a result of this, um, she actually wasn't even able to live within the city limits, right? They had a farm outside, well, outside of town for them. For us, it would it would be in Memphis. Exactly. Uh, so we're talking about uh, the Cleveland and Union area uh, of today, but she had uh, been so put upon and attacked so virulently in press and I would imagine to her face that she had taken the children and moved out to their farm named Muskogee Camp, another uh, hearkening back to uh, Native Americans. And uh, as well, they also had their land over in Hopeville, Arkansas, where she uh, made jams and hunt bottled up honey and and sold as well. But she did not become a uh, lifelong resident of downtown Memphis. Um, How many children did they end up having together? So uh, they had eight children, um, all of which are show up in the censuses as living with Amarant in uh, Muskogee at Muskogee Camp. Um, And in that census, they are listed as mulatto. Uh, The next census uh, was after her death, and they're all living with Marcus and listed as white. Mm, Interesting. You you also discovered, speaking of race and uh, research, you also discovered something that people didn't know about Marcus Winchester and his own heritage through his mother's line, I believe. That's right. And uh, I don't think that the city of Memphis would have gone down the same path they did had they known it. But uh, it turns out that his mother, uh, Susan Black, uh, her grandfather and great grandfather were free men of color. They uh, the the African-American DNA comes in through the Winchester line. And we've proved this through a lawsuit that was brought against one of her grandfathers, Gideon Gibson, who had to appear before the House of Burgesses in the Carolinas. And it's documented there that not only is he a man of means, he was a landowner. Unfortunately, he was also a slave owner, but they had a thriving community of interracially married families which was very common at that time. Well, and it's it's um, uh, interesting to think of this guy who was so influential, you know, in Memphis, um, um, having both that heritage, you know, and uh, a wife that was non-white as well. Um, he, even though his wife lived out of town, he still developed a thriving business um, in Memphis. And uh, one of my favorite stories, of course, is when David Crockett um, had a wreck with a flatboat filled with barrel staves. He was trying to get to New Orleans. He crashed uh, right down from Mud Island. 
And uh, when he was rescued, the first person they took him to, because he was already somewhat of a celebrity by then, so they took him to Marcus Winchester, and David Crockett stayed with Marcus and Amarant uh, Winchester and became very, very good friends. And um, uh, Marcus funded some of David Crockett's future political campaigns, much to the frustration of John Overton and Andrew Jackson. We've got correspondence where John Overton said, cut it out, you know, quit. Quit, uh, quit sponsoring him. We're trying to get rid of him. But he continued to secretly uh, fund Crockett's campaigns. And uh, David Crockett was just one of the many people that uh, developed a, a good relationship um, with the Winchesters. Uh, there were some folks working to try to end slavery. Um, tell us a little bit about others who developed uh, relationships with the Winchesters. Absolutely. Well, uh, Francis Wright, and Robert Owen, um, who you may know from uh, Neshoba. So there's a, a street in, in Memphis called Neshoba, and we've always had vague notions that there was a, a community referred to as Neshoba, um, which I did finally locate. But uh, it was a utopian-type society. They were free thinkers. They did not believe in slavery. Um, they had open marriages, uh, what we would refer to as, as a free sex type colony. Um, and their idea was to purchase away slaves from plantations or wherever they, they could purchase them, teach them how to live on their own and emancipate them. Um, unfortunately, the area that they bought, they had several thousand acres from uh, what is now Park Avenue all the way down to the Wolf River. At that time, it was a yellow fever plagued area because of the swampy nature of so much of that land, which Frances did come down with. And she ended up having to leave and go back to Scotland and uh, recover from uh, at that point, uh, the community started falling apart. But the, they were so close with the Winchesters that Amarant and Marcus named their son Robert Dale Owen and one of their daughters, Frances Wright Winchester. Oh, that that's interesting. And that reminds me of um, uh, the way that Marcus Winchester's father named his children um, and also yeah. is the one who named Memphis. Um, Mark, what was Marcus's full name? Was it Marcus? Marcus Brutus. Brutus. Yeah. Um, one of his brothers is Lucilius. Uh, there's a Lucilius Publicola. There are, are quite a few um, Egyptian names, uh, Greek names. And he was apparently enthralled with it. And Marcus continued that with the naming of his own children. Yeah. So so we now know exactly where the idea for naming Memphis, Memphis came from. That's right. Memphis, Egypt. So um, um, Marcus's wife dies uh, fairly young, correct? Yes. She died in 1839. Now, they had family from St. Louis, Missouri, um, all the way down to New Orleans on both Winchester and Loisel uh, and Baraboe sides. Um, 
so while, as you had mentioned, James Davis's um, book on history, we'll call it, um, referred to her traveling to New Orleans as if she had been shunned from Memphis. She was actually staying with family. I even found the address that she was at when she passed. Um, so she was on a trip uh, to New Orleans when she passed away at a very young age, uh, leaving Marcus to raise eight children. And before long, he had remarried a much younger woman, and Lucy Ferguson, who was a family friend that he had uh, promised her husband that he would look after her and ensure her safety while he made a trip to Europe, which unfortunately he died during. And uh, so at 19, she was brave enough to take on the raising of eight children. And uh, later on down the line, uh, things did not go well for Marcus Winchester. He um, suffered, you know, he, he probably drank a lot, you know, from all the stress and the anxiety and, uh, his enemies tried to, uh, squash him and get rid of him. Um, ultimately he, he did not have, uh, a happy ending in his life, unfortunately. No, he didn't. Uh, as years went by and lawsuits were filed against him, he slowly had to start selling off, uh, property that they had amassed in both Shelby County and in Arkansas uh, to settle lawsuits. And eventually, I believe he was only 50 when he had his first heart attack and about 51 when he had a fatal heart attack. He had lingered a day before his own death. At that point, Lucy was on her own to raise the children that were still minors and uh get by as they could and his his story really didn't end with his death because uh they had set aside a cemetery where the notables of memphis would be buried um talk a little about that cemetery and what eventually happened to it Right. So as most people are, are unaware of, there, there were not formal cemeteries back in those days, and people tended to be buried on family land and whatnot. But as Memphis grew, you can imagine that that became a, a challenge. So Marcus and uh, the Winchesters donated property, which is now situated behind St. Jude as the city burying ground. It was referred to as Winchester Cemetery. The, uh, I believe there are five mayors mar uh, buried there. There are senators, congressmen, uh, all sorts of people buried there to the tune of about 13,500 people who were eventually buried there. Um, the cemetery went through a lot of changes over the years. Um, the caretaker had passed away and his wife, I think she did her darndest to keep it up, but it must have been overwhelming. At the same time, the city of Memphis cut through several streets. There was a rail line cut through. And at some point along the line, most of the headstones had been cracked or broken up and they even made this into a park. 
um, which I just can't fathom. But it was a different day and age. They even had a children's wading pool there at once, one point. Um, but the biggest atrocity in my mind's eye is that they built the city garage over Marcus Winchester and who knows how many others graves. Um, at that point, it was horses and buggies that were kept there. Later, it was upgraded to store uh, actual city trucks. Uh, that garage stands empty to this day. I believe they used the parking lot for some storage of vehicles, but they will never break ground on that um, as far as we know. And it sort of uh, goes to not wanting these people to be forgotten that it just breaks my heart that this happened. And you shared with me um, a uh, an article or a paper by Midge Gurley called oh, yes. Abandoned, Abused, and a Municipal Pariah, the Life and Death of Winchester Burying Ground. Exactly. It's a beautiful uh, article, which I encourage everyone to, to read. It's in the uh, West Tennessee Historical Papers. And uh, that's where I was able to find so many uh, facts about this and led me in my own research. But it's really a beautiful tale of what happened and a, a heartbreaking one at the same time. So you're not a historian uh, by uh, career, you know, neither am I, but we are both uh, passionate about it and enjoy it. Why do you think it's important for us today and for our, our, uh, our own descendants tomorrow to remember these people that came before us? Well, I feel strongly, first of all, that everyone should know their history. It may not be important to my grandchildren today, but somewhere down the line, they will have questions. And unfortunately, I waited too late. I didn't have people to go back and ask uh, where we came from or who are we? Um, but on top of that, there is so much divisiveness in Memphis right now and around the country, as everyone knows. But if you scratch just a little bit below the surface, you realize that we're not all that different. As so many African-American families find out, they have European ancestry. And if more European descendants scratched under the surface, they'd find their own African-American ancestry, not to mention Native American. Yeah, it's, uh, it's fascinating. The more people look and the, and the more they uh, research, they'll find out the diversity that most people have um, in their heritage. I mean, a lot of people who I know who are, are ancestry fans are looking for, they want to find Native American um, heritage uh, that's because true. that's cool, you know, but, you know, oftentimes uh, the rumors in most families are, well, you know, we have Native American or we have African American, you know, heritage. And um, sometimes that turns out to be true and sometimes it doesn't. I think it is an opportunity for people to learn that we are not so different from one another, that the atmosphere that we find our country in right now could be so different if they just knew the truth of their history, their own history. Yeah. And I think it's, uh, you know, I think it's helpful to go back 
and and know what happened in the past in in both politics and religion and government and uh, society, and it makes it more fun when you have a personal connection back to the people you know that were living at that time you know and and it helps put history in context so um for me i think it's really important to share that with my kids and grandkids and as we talked about earlier ignite an interest in history so that hopefully somebody will uh have the same passions absolutely i'm uh counting on that with my granddaughter and I hope I can foster it with the other seven grandchildren as well. (laughs) That's fantastic. Well, thank you so much for uh, sharing this uh, with us. For people who want more, um, you know, you and I've talked, you need to write a book about this. (laughs) I'll need some help with that from you, but (laughs) I would love to. That sounds great. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Um, and I will, uh, you've, you've inspired me, you know, the mission of discovery park of America is to inspire children and adults to see beyond and You've inspired me to want to get online and do some more research this weekend. Absolutely. Thanks to all of you listeners who have joined Ginger, Caroline, and me today at Discovery Park of America. Our mission here is to inspire children and adults to see beyond. To plan an experience here for you and your family, visit discoveryparkofamerica.com. Discovery Park of America.